0: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we'll have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, Chinese President Xi Jinping calls for cooperation between BRICS countries at the summit in South Africa. And we will also take a look at China's summer spending. And now let's begin with our top story. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called for efforts to deepen cooperation among BRICS countries to boost economic growth. He made the remarks when addressing the 15th BRICS summit in Johannesburg, South Africa. He said that development is a right for all countries and not a privilege limited to a few countries. He also said it is unacceptable to dress up domestic rules and regulations as international norms. The Chinese president also said BRICS countries have agreed on quick action to start an artificial intelligence study group to expand AI cooperation. So for more on this and the BRICS summit, join us on the line now are Dr. Zhou Mi Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So welcome, gentlemen, to our show. Let's begin with you, Dr. Zhou. President Xi Jinping said development is a right for all countries and not a privilege limited to a few countries. I want to get your thoughts on this. Why is the solidarity within the bloc so important?
2: I think that it's a common sense that all the countries have reached an agreement or consensus that development should be put in the priorities for 2030, the the agendas for the global development. Well, we are still finding there are so many so many issues happening in the past few years, especially when there are coming some noises from United States about the criticism about the the problems of the, the space to develop by the developing countries. So I think that's a, a kind of a challenge when the world is facing many problems, including the geopoliticals and the COVID. Well, we are trying to do more to continue our promises. But in this regard, maybe the developing countries and some of the developed countries have different opinions about the ways that we are going to move forward. So it's a very important time for the developing countries to try to address this problem, especially for the biggest one, and that is the BRICS country.
0: And so, Aina, the president also said it is unacceptable to dress up domestic rules and regulations as international norms. So what's your main takeaway from it?
1: Well, if you looked at the United States dispassionately, uh, since its founding, it's been a rogue state. And by that, I mean that it has started wars, imposed unilateral sanctions, it said that its values are the values of the world, and it's, it's it adheres to this America First policy. Uh, a good example of that was when a uh, Fed, uh, Fed board uh, governor was asked about the damage that was being done because of rate rises uh, by the U.S. Fed. Uh, to the rest of the world his answer was well it doesn't really matter what matters is the united states does well and ev- eventually everyone else will do well mm-hmm. i mean this complete e- not caring at all about the rest of the world is is typifying this kind of of uh, situation that xi jinping is talking about and and that has to end this is a multipolar world and the us is going to have to adjust
0: Mm. And I know also the BRICS countries have also agreed on a quick action to start an artificial intelligence study group to expand the AI cooperation. So how important is that?
1: AI cooperation is absolutely crucial uh, to this. This is about sharing, uh, creating standards, but also sharing um, technology. And this is one of the most important points as we go forward. Uh, tomorrow's world will be uh, all very, very um, asymmetrical in terms of of wealth. Uh, There'll be huge disparities based on who owns uh, the uh, AI. uh, I mean, artificial, not only artificial intelligence, but the IP behind it. So what China is doing is saying this is something where to create a sustainable world, this uh, initiative to talk about the standards and then combine it with this idea of creating a group that is going to share uh, IP and develop it, uh, it really speaks to the future that uh, China sees as inclusive.
2: We know that artificial intelligence has started to emerge in the last century. Well, it's comp- uh, companion with the development of the computer and the internet. In this world, we are seeing many new opportunities and challenges are faced by not only one country, but also many countries, including the developed country and also developing countries. In my understanding, maybe in the developing countries, they have quite different situation compared with the developed countries. When are trying to deal with the problems of the social development and also something to do with economic. So we are trying to use our knowledge and share our knowledge with other BRICS countries because we are facing maybe similar situations to deal with the situation like how can we improve the abilities of the manufacturing? How can we upgrade the agriculture? It's a kind of understanding that all these BRICS countries should try to improve their abilities in this regard because in the world we have uh, larger and larger digital gaps compared with the developed countries. There are still many startups in China who are very interested in the developing development of the artificial intelligence. Those companies are really brilliant and they are trying to catch up with some of the developed countries, and some of them are still leading these sectors. So it's a much potential for the BRICS countries to have a better understanding and trying to improve our maybe not different, but some unique style of dealing with the world in their Mm. own ways by the help of the artificial intelligence.
0: And Dr. Zhou, so another quite important topic for this time is the expansion of the BRICS block. So do you think it's time for this group to expand?
2: Actually, it's a, a very interesting topic because we are we are looking at other groups like for the EU. It's uh, always expanding. Maybe in the past, um, uh, except for the BRICS. Well, as for the BRICS countries, I I think it's, uh, uh it's a, a kind of a different problem because BRICS countries is not our official organization, so it's not have a boundary very clear to my understanding but when they are so uh, attractive, uh, I mean the, this attractiveness of the BRICS are grating and uh, it is uh, kind of problems. how can we try to make better use of the BRICS cooperation and mutual uh, understanding. Mm-hmm. So in this regard I think that many countries show their interest in enjoying that. It is uh, a signal that uh, they, they want also be part of this, uh, this kind of uh, mechanism to dealing with to deal with the different situations by the common sense and the similar actions.
0: Mm-hmm. And so Aina, so actually Dr. Joe talked about the attractiveness of the BRICS group, and there are about 40 countries expressing interest in joining BRICS, and uh, 22 have officially applied to join. So what makes this group so attractive to these large developing countries?
1: Well, a, a couple of things. Uh, first off, it's the global South in the main part, except uh, of course we have to include the uh, Central Asia uh, countries, um, and it's it's not pushing out any kind of ideology. It is basically said, you know, that it's about development, uh, respect for each country. Um, so these countries want to band together in a more powerful uh, grouping. Individually, these are developing countries and emerging countries. I think if they keep BRICS as a middle power uh, entity uh, that can act as a broker, uh, a, a very honest broker between the developing and developed world and make sure that the developed world pays its fair share. I mean, for instance, the developed world promised $100 billion a year in aid towards uh, climate change um, amelioration, but only 10% has appeared and that of that 10%, most of it has gone to uh, companies that are associated with developed nations. So you know, if the BRICS uh, does get together, it involves the middle powers, they have tremendous influence over resources.
0: So Dr. Joe Briggs will offer the potential candidate countries a better platform to express their opinions and be heard. But beyond that, what benefits are they expecting out of their membership, do you think?
2: I think that uh, BRICS platform is uh, different from other G7 and other issues because they are they are very interested in the political and also military discussion. Well, for the BRICS, we are mainly discussing what we can do among ourselves. So, if many other developing countries join this platform, they will be able to discuss their their own choices in the cooperation among us. Well, the second is that we are trying to explore more new things like for the low carbon development or the digital development. Maybe there are there are not already any rules or principles, but for the BRICS countries, we can try to de- define or design certain principles for us to try to deal with these uh, challenges.
0: And we also want to talk about the financial platform, Dr. Zhou. African countries need money, of course, to recover from the COVID-19 and keep their development program afloat. And now they have another financing platform, the New Development Bank. So what can it do to foster the financial cooperation?
2: Yes, for the financial corporation, it's a really certain degree. It's a comparatively more advanced areas compared with the trade and investment. Because the financial flow is uh, affecting the country, the economy in a much more or higher degree. So for the financial corporation, I think that uh, for the BRICS countries, we can try to use the money wisely. I, in this regard, maybe we can try to address the critical infrastructure development and trying to prove the critical su- support to those uh, those uh, parties, uh, those uh, you know participants of the market in a stronger position. And uh, that is the kind of things we can try to develop. Well, as the third one, I think that is something to do about our management or mm-hmm. governance about the financial areas. Because for the BRICS countries, some of them are having different management systems about the financial cooperation. We can coordinate about the principles and the criteria among us, which is very important for the, you know, the stakeholders like the investors, like, like the banks and the insurance companies to dealing with this uh, financial cooperation and they will be more active in, the,
1: in this regard. Mm.
0: So, Aina, what do you think can the uh, BRICS countries do on the uh, financial cooperation front?
1: First and most important one is one that they've already done. Um, in the last few days, they were able to successfully f- float a bond in South African RAND. So they were RAND bonds. They were w- well oversubscribed. So, it becomes a financing mechanism that takes the risk out of uh, domestic concerns uh, who are dealing in RAND. They are not; they don't have to worry about the volatility of the US dollar by, you know, taking dollar denominated loans. And this is very important. It also can facilitate um, these currency swaps uh, to the extent that you have trade going back and bef- uh, between uh, different countries. And there's nothing that's preventing it from uh, in the future extending that to other countries, even if they're outside uh, the BRICS structure itself. And then lastly, there's this issue about uh, creating a BRICS currency. Now, that is a few years off, but it's still something that needs to be discussed. It's not trying to take over the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar will continue to be important, but it's offering an alternative, allowing countries to have options, especially when it comes to the, this issue about uh, currency volatility.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, Dr. Joe, so talking about the currency, where does the BRICS group stand on this idea right now?
2: I think it's uh, still you know, in the discussion stage because uh, I, the, the currency is very complicated. Mm-hmm. It is not only something happened in ourselves, in our own market, but also a lot of... Uh, uh, effect or impact on the world economic and uh, investment cooperation. So we know that all the BRICS countries are very big countries. We have uh, many balance, and these balance are happening everywhere in the real economy, in the virtual economy, between the domestic market and the foreign market. So if we are trying to use a certain or a same currency, we may deal with a lot of problems. Like in the EU, we know that European, European uh, central banks are, UCB, are very active and they need very strong, you know, the authorities from all the uh, memberships. So if the BRICS countries are trying to have a uni, uh, uniform or currency, it has to deal with this situation also. And it will impact the monetary policy well uh, as, as well as uh, the fiscal policy allowed. So I don't think that uh, the BRICS countries are already ready for this, but they are real interested in dealing with this. And that is also a reflect about the the position of the U.S. dollars, because it has a very bad impact on the BRICS countries' economy nowadays.
0: Mm -hmm. And so, Aina, according to Bloomberg, the BRICS countries are leading the G7 in global growth. And based on the IMF figures, uh, BRICS will contribute over 50 percent of the global GDP by the year 2030. So what are your thoughts on this milestone?
1: Well, it it just represents this uh, transition from a unipolar um, north developed uh, countries to a much multipolar um, favoring the south. Uh, and also Asia. Um, it's just the economic realities. Things mm. never stay the same. They're not static, they they move around. We've seen this throughout history. So uh, increasingly it's about production and resources. Uh, the production in Europe and America is not competitive despite uh, massive subsidies, You know, as has been quoted by uh, things, a chip made in Taiwan will be 30 percent less expensive than the exact same chip made in the United States by this exact same company. Uh, That goes to show that, you know, these uh, developed countries have to find a new path for themselves. But the uh, developing countries with their resources and production uh, capabilities are going to far outstrip them. Yeah,
2: I understand that uh, for the BRICS country because they are developing countries, and in average, you know, we know that developing countries is developing much quicker than the developed economies. So in this regard, I would say that uh, it will taking more important role in the global uh, economy. So it's not only something about their own ideas, because that we know that the developing countries are also doing business with many other countries. So in this regard, that's the, the hard function of the BRICS countries will be more important in the future. So it's a kind of, uh, you know, when uh, we are talking about the activities of the markets, the investors will be more interested in investing in the BRICS countries in the future.
0: Mm. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at culture and tourism market in China. Stay with us. Deep Dive, a podcast of CGT
2: Radio.
0: Go beyond headlines with reporters from
2: around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations.
0: I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank, China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So friends around the world hope you can join us. You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The culture and tourism market in China has been surging this summer with packed tourist attractions and record-high box office. The China Tourism Academy predicted that this summer will see the busiest travel market in five years with an estimated 1.8 billion domestic trips made from June to August. This is projected to generate 1.2 trillion yuan or 160 billion US in domestic tourism revenue. So Dr. Zhou, from packed tourist attractions to the movie frenzy, the culture and tourism market in China is bustling this summer. So what are the main factors behind this, do you think?
2: I think that the main factor is, the, you know, we have uh, passed the point. So in this regard, many people are go to the, the, the theater and uh, they are also want to see the other places around China like me i'm I'm now in Xinjiang and I'm enjoying this beautiful scenery and I could find that all the you know all the places are there are so many tourists all around the world so i actually uh, I think it's a kind of a phenomenon coming from this policy change and the second is that the people of China, especially the consumers, they are really want to improve their consumption choices nice like to watch a movie or go somewhere to have a look. I think that is a kind of uh, reflection about the Chinese consumers' abilities and willingness to enjoy their life. Mm. And third one, I think that is also uh, the the results from the companies and the governments. They really want to work hard to improve the ability to to meet the demand of the consumers, which is uh, uh, trying to improve some of the preferential policies about the tickets and also to provide them with better choices and some of the you know, the price for the consumption.
0: Mm. And Dr. Joe, so for the economy as a whole, it continued to show growth and recovery in key indicators. And however, the growth rate has slowed down. So what factors do you think have uh, contributed to it?
2: I think that uh, we know uh, from the, the, the rules of development, if the economy is uh, trying to recover from a certain impact, it needs some time. According to the, you know, the spokesman from the statistics bureau, they said that it's about uh, six months to to one year to recover from the the impact. Well, according to my understanding that uh, the the Chinese economy is very strong and resilient uh, compared with many other countries, even in the Uncertainty world, you know, now like nowadays, but we are still trying to improve the abilities by integrating the domestic market and trying to have better opening up policies for the foreign investors. So that is a kind of a combination of different factors. And I, I think it's uh, we need some time to, to try and to see the, the you know, recovery. Maybe it's also have to do uh, with the cooperation with many other countries.
0: So, Aina, now China is transforming and upgrading its traditional industries to high-end manufacturing. So, how significant is that for China's economic recovery?
1: Well, it's not only uh, China's economic recovery now, but it has to go to the future. If you start looking at uh, things like uh, industry, um, digital industry 4.0, where you're trying to improve and maximize the efficiency of your production uh, through robotics, through real-time dashboards that allow you to uh, make changes, anticipate breakdowns so that you have less of them. All of these things are contributing factors uh, that China needs to keep up with if it's going to maintain its production. And it's always going to be an important part of China's economy, but it has to be driven through efficiency. You compare that with the United States during the 70s, When they, instead of looking at efficiency, they were just, you know, giving wage increases to people, benefits that actually never materialized, especially in the auto industry and areas like that. Meanwhile, uh, industry still declined. Hmm. So China has learned the lessons of history and is looking at how it can surmount uh, this this transition period between uh, cheap labor uh, and then um, uh, high quality development.
0: Mm. So, Dr. Zhou, so what do you think about the China's high end manufacturing's role in this economy? And also, we're focusing on promoting the innovation capability, right? Yeah, I I think
2: that for the innovation or you know, the high end or high quality development, it's coming from two resources. The first one is from the traditional uh sectors to improve their uh, i mean the skills or technology embedded in the sector so it's a kind of improvement and trying to change its uh, its tracks in the uh, competition But well, the second source is uh, coming from the new input uh, this input may come from the foreign investors may come from the private sectors may come from the, the technology development so it's a kind of a combination and these. Combinations and these change are really helping the Chinese economy to improve its abilities for better profits. Because you know, we in the world we have so many competitors, and these competitors, I mean, from other countries, they also want to catch up with us. Like for the traditional manufacturing, for the textiles, for the you know shoes making, they also want to have their room. I don't think that we are always always as where we are. So we should try to change and improve our abilities in the global value chains according to this uh, kind of change. Mm.
0: And also in the first half of this year, Dr. Zhou, the foreign direct investment in China continued to grow with a growth rate of uh, uh, more than 12%. So how do you explain this trend and what's the outlook of it?
2: I think that uh, for the development of the FDIs, they are also you know uh, always be very active in at- anticipating China's market development and i believe that for even for this uh, uh, first half of this year they continue to do that but where i'm i'm now seeing some new signals like some of the investors are trying to invest in the new uh, sectors mm. the high-tech sectors maybe averagely the projects are smaller but they are more diversified. And this is kind of, uh, I think it's kind of efforts by the FDIs. They want to explore about the possibilities, the better possibilities to participate in the development of Chinese economy.
0: Mm, And what do you think are the opportunities or the opportunity sectors for the FDI?
2: I think that maybe it lies in two areas. The first one is about Chinese population. We know that China has such a large population. So the sectors which are served Uh, you know, those uh, uh, people in a large scale may be uh, profitable. These are something to do with uh, the massive data collecting and dealing or artificial intelligence and also the wisdom cities. Well, the second is that there are some new areas which can improve the abilities of China's manufacturing or integrate the manufacturing and services better. And these technologies uh, are helping those peoples are large, and they are also profitable for the FBI.
0: Mm. And how do you see the internal and external environment for China's economy for the rest of the year, uh, Dr. Zhou?
2: I believe that the environment will be better uh, because you know we have much more confidence after the recovery, the initial recovery period of the first half of this year. Well, in the rest of this year, I think that the the strengths will be stronger and the development strengths will uh, be important to, you know, to connect with other countries. Like in the BRICS summit, we know that these countries are really interested in joining this pack. This pack is a a combination of so many developing countries. And I I believe that all these countries can cooperate and coordinate with each other to improve the environment. I Mm. mean, for the policy risk card.
0: Well, we're speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.